Ask any coach of any sport, or any teacher for that matter, if they've ever had a group or individual who made you question yourself. Because it so often seemed that no solution you tried led to a positive result. A wonderful bonus of my mentorship or leadership roles in hockey has been that I've gotten to see the wide range of innovative approaches coaches have taken to dealing with problems. Most worked, some bombed. There was a AAA coach, and his staff too, by the way, who felt strongly that a forward with good scoring skills was lazy and negative and would not respond to anything he did. Moreover, the boy's parent was interfering, greatly exacerbating the problem. The coach's solution? He released the boy at the next year's tryouts, thus making the dressing room and team chemistry, as it were, much better. The boy went to another association to play. The coach of a competitive Bantam team could not control them. He was a good, soft-spoken fellow, yet he had few leadership tools. Despite his getting much assistance and mentoring, the team got worse. He called it an impossible team to work with, his own team from hell. He was not given the team the following year. I've had my share of tough groups too. A few were almost comically so. There was a grade 10 math class housed in a portable that had six students named Jennifer and five named Jason in a class of 25. Question and answer times were a bit tricky. Plus, one wise guy, Stefan, who was determined to prove he could outsmart the teacher. One day, he stepped out of the room claiming to go to the washroom. He came back and within 20 minutes, a pizza delivery guy showed up at the portable door with a delivery of a large all-dressed for Stefan. While I watched, Stefan coolly got up and paid the fellow. But before he could take the pizza, I grabbed it from him. I opened the pizza box, snatched a slice for myself, and passed it around the room for everyone else. Stefan never got a slice. We ate for about 10 minutes and then returned to determining the slopes of lines. When a AAA team's coach quit in the summer, to take his first crack at junior hockey, I and another chap, a player's dad, had to step in. We did not pick the team and hardly knew the players. What ensued was one of the most challenging teams I've ever experienced. We had lots of injuries, a handful of undisciplined boys, a few very swelled heads, and a couple of kids telling us to play them more because, quote unquote, they were being watched. A few parents were difficult. When we asked them to provide post-game snacks like drinks and muffins, one set didn't participate at all. In minor hockey's lexicon, we call that type of parent a jerk. Yet we made some headway. It wasn't without head-spinning staff discussions on how to deal with or approach problems. I wouldn't call it a team from hell. However, if there's an elevator that goes down that far, this team reached the floor above. I'm Richard Berkeson. And you're listening to Grassroots, the minor hockey show. Okay, what do you do with a team from hell? Here's my conversation with Rick Ladusser. You should remember him from episode three about hockey schools. As experienced and highly competent as he is, Rick once found himself with just such a team. Here's what he went through. Rick, are you there? I am. You're back. I'm back. 
We have talked a few times in the past about dealing with hockey teams that we just as soon forget about. Oh, yes. I have a few. We've, One I think, in particular, actually. Uh, well, just before we get into the, the team from hell, which is the, the topic for this show, mm. would, you, would you agree that, uh, you know, aside from teaching of the game, teaching the, the tactics and the skills and all the other stuff, that one of our biggest roles as coaches is problem solving. Absolutely. No question about it. And when we're dealing with a team or chunks of a team that present us with insurmountable difficult, almost insurmountable difficulties or perceived insurmountable difficulties, we question our worth as coaches. Absolutely. You know, because I, I think I mentioned to you already that I took over a team I didn't want. And I had actually applied for another AAA team. And the coaching coordinator came to me and said, nobody wants to take this team. And would you be willing to do it? This was in Winnipeg, right? This is in Winnipeg. And right. it was, I, I really and truly should have stuck to my guns and said, no, I don't want them. Did you know why nobody wanted that team at the time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, there was issues on the team right from, uh, like, novice. I mean, when these kids were sort of playing against each other. And uh, it largely to do with the parents, but specifically with the kids themselves, uh, there's no other word than bullying. That's what this team was all about. Now, this was subsequent to when Hockey Canada came out with its uh, policy on harassment and bullying and whatnot. So they, we're talking about, this was in the last, what was it, seven or eight years ago? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. By how long did it take you to figure out that, oh my God, what have I done? Probably the first month I realized that, you know, th this team was just a problem uh, right from the onset. Um, I mean, even to do team functions, which I, I brought them to my home, and you could just tell there was this sense of uneasiness with a number of players and um yeah, I just simply thought, what did I do? What? Why did I say yes to this team? Uh, it, we know it the, was but really, we, Rick, Rick, we know the answer to that. Oh yes, I mean, you know, your ego takes over, and you think, oh yeah, I can, I can handle this team. Sure, but uh, no question about that. And and but uh, realistically, um, it it really and truly over my. I guess at that time, about 35, 36 years of coaching, it was the most difficult group of individuals that I have ever coached. What, you know, this is a strange question. If, if you had only had a few years experience, you mm -hmm. were kind of a raw green AAA coach, do you think you would have gone at it differently? And just went, well, you know, sometimes it goes like that. Now just let the water slide off my back. Well, that's, that's a really good point. And the individual that had the team 
prior to me was exactly that, you know, very new to the program. And uh, they ate him alive. Like they, they, they basically ran him out of town. Um, uh, and there's no other way of describing it because the whole season was nonstop controversy. Uh, nothing this individual did was, was correct. And, you know, he fully admitted that, you know, obviously he made some mistakes along the way, but uh, because I did speak to him when, before I took the team, but uh, he 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 said like I'm passing I'm going to another team so that's how bad this team was. Can you give me some examples of the kinds of things that you thought were just beyond the pale? <laughs> you know, there were things. It got so bad in the dressing room, and you know, you really want that to be their space. You you don't want to interfere with a hockey team, as you well know, you, you want to get, let, allow them to bond as a team, but we couldn't even be out of that room for more than 10, 15 minutes before something happened. And it was just about downright bullying towards their fellow teammates. And, um, you know, I, I, I might've said this to you before, but I, you know, I was wondering why a major Bantam team, you know, as an example, just they weren't showering. And I'm going, like, it, it, why are they showering? I mean, they're in high school by this point. So what's the big deal? Come to find out that, you know, some people were making fun of, of other uh, young men in the, in the showers. And, and so, I mean as a teenager, like you're, you know, you're, you're so, um, you're so, uh, say apprehensive and, and cognizant of the fact that, you know, maybe you're not as developed as other children on the team. And then there's these young people just making fun of you. Like, yeah, like but who here, does that? Like, I, I just right. couldn't, I, I couldn't get my head around it to be honest here, with you. Here, here's where things get tricky though. The two deep rule came into effect, uh, was it the late 90s with the Sheldon Kennedy mm -hmm. situation and Theo Fleury yes. and all those other things? That's right. Which in practice, or rather in theory, is really good. Uh, in practice, once the kids get to Bantam, it's really tricky. You know what, Richard? I don't think that at any level that it really works because, you know, players want their privacy and. Um, you know, that's their sanctum. That, that's where they should be allowed to bond as a team. And I really think that the rule with, with its good intentions has really taken away from the sport because would you not agree that that's part of hockey and the team and, and bonding as a group that that's sort of your... Sure. Right? I mean... Yeah, the, the room, you know, everybody says when they retire from, you know, talk to the pros when they retire from playing or anybody, you know, even mm -hmm. the guys that I play with, you know, the, the old timers, um, you know, it's the room that's the most fun. Uh, Absolutely. But. For, for other reasons too. 
Sure, sure. But it, it is tricky when you're dealing with, you know, 13, 14, 15 year olds, maybe by about 16, it's not such an issue. You're talking about, you know, the one issue you're mentioning here is the showers. If you have a member of the coaching staff, whether it's the trainer, the head coach or anybody, right? actually sitting in the room or standing in the, in the doorway, very uncomfortable as, as the kids are showering or getting into or out of, it's really tricky. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you a, diff- a slightly different example. In girls hockey, uh, I, the last, uh, I think, three high-performance evaluations I did out here in, in, in the Durham region uh, was for elite uh, girls hockey at the Bantam and Midget level. And uh, in every case, they have a lady, a woman, who is, uh, you know, a trainer or an assistant coach. And in the case of these teams, they were all the trainers or managers because uh, there just aren't enough female coaches, who uh, was in the room the entire time. Now, of course, I can't know um, if the girls are showering or what. I rather suspect they just get changed and come out. Um, mm-hmm. But would the same, you know, you wonder if the same kind of hesitancy would apply in the girls' program as in the boys' program. I, th- I find that in the boys' program, I, n- I remember a number of teams I've had where you're, you're really uncomfortable walking in and out of the room. Like you're doing it for an excuse. You know, I need paper towel. Uh, I need to throw away some tape that I have in my hand. So I'm going to pop into the room, make sure everything is hunky dory, pop out. Oh, got to go back in, forgot my stick or, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, you had a situation, did you not, with, uh, yes. with a team? Yeah. Yeah. Three years ago. Or what happened there? Well, we did have kids who were, uh, were pissing on each other in the showers. There oh my were God. a couple. Yeah, there were a couple. And you had that on that team. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, not only that, but actually making fun, making fun of, of kids. Yeah. you know, other, other, the development of, of children, right. Of, like of young men. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that was going on, but certainly the, uh, the pissing in the showers was an issue. Uh, and the way we dealt with it, myself and the guy I was coaching with was uh, to uh, prevent, to stop them from using the showers. Oh my. Until, I'm sure that went over well with the parents. Not at all. Uh, well, with some, most parents said nothing. A couple of them uh, raised quite a fuss. Um, well, and it turned out one of them was the parent of one of the kids who was guilty of it and didn't know. Of course. It, and didn't know it because mm-hmm. we didn't tell him. Um, and denied it. Well, we didn't tell him. Oh, I see. Okay, but uh, the way we did it was we said uh, two weeks without showers, then we gradually let it back in. Um, for practices and then added games later. I'm not sure which order we did it, but uh, there was also a maturation issue and there was also a group that had some cliques in it. There were some problems with, with kids. We didn't pick that team. We inherited this team. There were some issues there. Right, right. But, you know, I wouldn't call it the team from hell, but it was certainly a very unusual season in a lot of ways. It was exhausting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you feel that you you can deal with these issues and you know, there's some things that I keep telling coaches all the time at clinics, you're coaching these kids a few hours a week. You're not parenting them. That's correct. Well, the, the other issue is, is also from the generation um, that I feel and having children in about that age at the time, very immature. Um, it's almost like they have very little social skills um, and they just do not know 
how to communicate among themselves. And, and you know what? That kind of flies in the face of, of hockey in a sense, because as you said, even in old timers or beer league, like the most fun is being in the dressing room. Right. But yeah. it's like they, they lack the locals, the, 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 they lack the skills or the social skills, if you will. Well, full disclosure here, going way, way back to my school days in Montreal, I went to a private boys school in Montreal. We, it was not an option not to have a shower after gym class or sports class or mm-hmm. sport activity from the age of, oh, maybe nine or 10, maybe grade four, grade five, somewhere around there. Uh, I found it extremely uncomfortable. Um, you know, when, when you're 10 years old, it's not a big deal. But as you get to 12, 13, 14 years old, and it's an expectation that you shower, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was very, I found it very, very awkward. So Why I can, uh, it just, for all the obvious reasons, you know, or have you matured, you know, as, as other kids have. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I was uh, always a smallish, slightish uh, kid. Uh, now I had some, I had some kids in my class who were like grown men at the age of 14, mm-hmm. you know, they might've been walking in with their wife and two kids, you know, I mean, they, <laughs> they were, they, they were very mature at 14 years old. And a lot mm-hmm. of my classmates just weren't it just the way it mm-hmm. was, but nobody made fun of anybody else in there. No, no. So no, getting back to, it, in our day, we didn't do that. No, but, like, no, but getting back to your team. So the showers were, were one problem. Um, oh, yeah. The other ones were what? Well, you know what? Just a lack of respect in terms of talent. You know, uh, people would actually like, uh, in, even in the dressing room or on the bench, like, what's that guy doing out there at this point? You know, um, there was a lack of respect for the talent level on the team that, you know, they, they were entitled. They, they very much so. They were entitled. They should have been out on the power play. They should have been out uh, in key situations. And uh, uh, so, you know, like a lot of second guessing from a coaching point of view is like, what are you doing with those guys out there? And, and literally, that was some of the things that we had to deal with early in the season. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that just drive me crazy is, you know, when, when the kids would say, we're on a power play, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, everybody in the rink knows we're on a power play. What's your point? You know? Um, so just, just that alone really to me, um, you just don't say those kinds of things on the bench. And I know I've coached with you. I know you, you feel the same way, you know, allow the players to, develop as the season went on. And the interesting thing is with this particular team from hell was they had some level of success. You know, uh, we were, we did very well in, in the, uh, in our league and our standings uh, goals for and against was outstanding. Um, but because of the cancers, within that room, we were never going to be successful. Just never, because there were key individuals that just had a way of, and almost 
to the point where they relished the idea of, of disrupting the team. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Did, without mentioning names or backgrounds much about your coaching staff or the, the staff that you had, manager and trainer, mm-hmm. were they a help or were they as baffled as you were about how to deal with this? Oh, they were very baffled. And, and, you know, I had a great staff. I really did. They just couldn't understand. Um, but, but, you know, it was ingrained right from novice Adam Peewee and in Manitoba, it was, you only started playing AAA at Bantam, minor Bantam, major Bantam. But all the way through this particular group were just, just bad. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. One of the things that from an association point of view was let's just get them through the system. And once they're gone, they're gone. That's how bad it was. That that would have been a sort of a one-off team, right? Like you. Oh yeah. yeah. There was no way yeah. you were going to stay with them for two years or three years. Oh my lord, no! Like absolutely not. Remember, Richard, I didn't want. Wait, this. wait a second. Now, wait. Did it cross your mind at all ever that if I got them the second year, I'd make some changes and to personnel and maybe approach things differently? Did it ever cross your mm. mind? No. <laughs> no. No, well. <laughs> no, I wanted nothing to do with them. But you know what? I, I don't want the listeners to think that they were all bad kids because they weren't. Like there were some really nice young men on this team that if I was uh, on one side of the street, they would come over and say hello to me and how are you? And, uh, you know, they, they were tremendous, like tremendous young people, but there wasn't enough of them on the team and mm. and you know what it's like when when you have cancers on the team it's so difficult one cancer and you know i think of some of the teams that i've had where one cancer two cancers you could deal with but when you have five or six of them it's almost insurmountable i i i and you and i coach junior well when we had those kids we just simply traded them because yeah. You know what? You're not, you're one not of part them, of it. You know, one of those guys never forgot it, too. <laughs> yeah, that's uh-huh. true. Yeah. Very good point. Mm. Uh, and actually, one of those guys became a pretty successful uh, coach. Yes. Uh, and I think he's scouting right now yes, uh, he is. for an NHL team. Yes. Anyway, no names. Um, and you know what that was all about? If you remember, yes. that was because of the hazing. Mm hmm issue that we had and Mm -hmm. they thought that was perfectly acceptable and then I had informed them that you know or we had informed them that that wasn't acceptable interesting enough about two or three years later minor hockeys and the, the the hockey Canada got on the bandwagon decided yeah we're not going to tolerate this anymore Mm -hmm. interesting as you know as some of these people go into the uh, into the coaching world and in the hockey world but anyway let's let's getting back to your team uh you, you had you said maybe five or six kids that you would call a cancer that were really difficult um mm-hmm. at what point or did you bring in the parents and try to approach them from that angle well that's a great question so at the beginning of the year I was very um, clear 
as to the rules of the team and actually had a parent contract. I had a player's contract. Like a code and of ethics I had, for players? Correct. Yes. And I had them sign off at the beginning of the year and said that if you didn't sign off, then that tells me you're not part of the team and you don't want to be a part of it. So basically, you've eliminated yourself. Now, there were at least three occasions during the course of the year where I had to pull those contracts out. And I literally photocopied them and sent them in an envelope with the kids to their parents. Uh, to their parents. Excuse me, I believe the manager actually hand-delivered them to each mm-hmm. of the parents. As opposed to Just email. Just to remind them. Pardon me? As opposed to email. No, no. I wasn't emailing those. I was photocopying them and I wanted to make sure that they read it and they saw their, their uh, signatures at the bottom of the sheet. And that's how we tried to remind them. And you know what, in fairness to the parents, for the most part, they, they abided by the rules because I, I was very, insistent at the beginning of the season how things were going to be run and they didn't interfere all that much i have to give them a little bit of credit but the kids oh it was uh yeah they i mean richard it got so bad that i remember uh we were going to have a practice and just because how ignorant a couple of them were i sent everybody home i just said we're not practicing today go home Hmm. that's how bad it was and you know I love to practice. Oh, yeah. I, I love yeah, yeah. But So that was really a defining moment in my mind. Did you get anywhere with, those, with that team as a whole or those kids individually as the season wore on? I want to, you know, my ego wants to say yes. But if I'm being truly honest, no. Hmm. No. I, I mean, sure, I got... Uh, I got to a couple of kids and a couple of kids um, that we had given an opportunity to be on the team. I think of, of one individual that probably would not have made the team if it hadn't been for myself and the coaching staff and ended up playing junior A hockey. Uh, and that's where he, he ended up in his career. But, you know, he, he was like a B player that was never given an opportunity because he wasn't part of that clique. So, but I'm uh, being honest with you, I, I, no, I just don't think that, um, sure, we might have won a few battles, minor battles, but we didn't win the war, that's for sure. It's funny that, you know, we're talking about teams from hell and it has nothing to do with, they couldn't do the system. They couldn't do the F1, F2. They couldn't carry the puck out of our zone. Our back checking was horrible. None of it. It's none of it. It's all about behavior. It's about the soft skills, the communication skills or lack of communication skills uh, among the kids and the barrier that was erected between the coaching staff or you in particular and a large group of those kids. Well, that's an excellent point, Richard, because, you know, as far as the X's and O's, they did very well. And they bought in. And, I mean, we were beating some teams that we shouldn't have been beating, like 10-2, uh, 
uh, 7-1. Uh, our power play was phenomenal. Uh, they bought in. They understood. Um, that wasn't the issue. Like, but I, I, the so I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled about something, though. You had some success on the ice. So mm -hmm. they bought into what you were saying or what you were teaching or what you were presenting mm -hmm. or all of the mm -hmm. above. And yet there seemed to have been no connection to their behavior. There, it was like there was a gap. Honestly, there was four or five kids who just didn't like each other. Well, that would do it. <laughs> I, can't, I can't simplify it any more than that. They mm. just simply did not. There was so much history in the early days, and it's hard to imagine how 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds have that kind of history. But truly, that was, there was so much history and so much uh, jealousy, uh, resentment, <clears throat> And I don't know if it stemmed even in, in the stands or not, because as you know, I don't bother with the, with the parents, but I can tell you it certainly was prevalent within, within the team. There's no question about that. Well, you know, it's interesting that uh, one of the questions I get fairly frequently, particularly at the AA and AAA level, is from coaches asking how many players I think uh, they should turn over from one year to the next. And I, there's no set answer for that. But, you know, uh, if you know the history of the team, if you know which kids are a problem, then should you be looking at turning over players X, Y, and Z because you know they've been a problem and you know that the players who are going to replace them are weaker? I mean, what would you say about that kind of stuff? Well, first of all, I think as a coach, you always think you can deal with the situation. And as, as you know, uh, I have, you have, we have dealt with those situations and had quite a bit of success. But um, the problem in this case was that um, – I, I, in order to really have a complete team in the way that we would like to coach a hockey team, we'd have to get rid of three or four of those players. And unfortunately, three of those four players are the team. You know, they're quite good. So what do you do? So well, that's Now, that's why I asked you a few minutes ago, if you would ever consider taking the team the second year, in other words, in minor midget, and dumping three or four of the kids who are real problems, knowing full well that it would greatly weaken the team. Well, for my sanity, <laughs> I would say yes, I would. Um, but, I mean, how do you justify that with the association? Like yeah, can you just speak into your phone a little bit better? I've lost you a little bit. Yeah, how can you how can you do that from an association point of view when you're literally getting rid of three, four of the better players? The association is going to look at you and say, "What are you doing?" Well, yeah, there is a delicate balance there because while those three or four kids or five kids or six kids are causing grief, mm -hmm. uh, the other eleven or twelve on the team are deserving of a proper hockey education as well. And it's, and it's clearly disrupting them. It's, it's much the same as I faced in a classroom where you have 30 kids in a class, four of them are, are a real problem. The other 26 
are deserving of your attention. And that's the argument I've made to, you know, administrators that, uh, yeah, there are four who are a real problem and I'd like you to deal with them because there are 26 who are great and deserve to have the attention that they need. But the difference is they're not on a hockey team where it's very, very competitive. And, you know, it, it is about winning. Uh, certainly at the AAA level, it's about winning. Um, to and, some degree, you know, and that's arguable. Well, let's put it this way. If you want to remain as a coach in that level, you better have some success. Right. So you can be a nice guy all you want, but if you're mm-hmm. not successful, you're not being asked back. Correct. And sure. and the, 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 the point here is that as opposed to a classroom, um, you know, your whole, you are a team as opposed to being in an individual, in an individual sport where your whole success is really determined by the individual as opposed to the team, or in this case, as you pointed out, a classroom. Well, I've seen many a team and I've had a few myself that were not going to be strong. They weren't going to be in the upper echelons of the league. And while winning was, would have been a wonderful objective to have, the reality was going to be quite different. It was patently obvious in, in some cases from September on. And you just wanted to have a good experience. I mean, I, I can remember a team I had in, uh, in Ottawa. My last year coaching minor hockey in Ottawa, uh, five, six years ago, I guess. And it was a, a Rep B, which is Tier 3 hockey, right? Um, maybe even Tier 4. Uh, they were not very good at all, but they were a wonderful group of kids, a wonderful group of parents. But, you know, averaged a goal and a half a game. The previous year, uh, as in Bantam hockey, they had averaged uh, something like eight and a half to nine minutes in penalties a game. And I got it down to three and a half. Um, but they were just no bloody good. <laughs> they were yes. just not good. However, um, you know, <laughs> we have to compare apples to apples here. Yes, they, yes. It's not AAA hockey. And no. you know what? I, I, we, I had a, sim, a similar experience with a team and I, they were just a tremendous group of people. Um, and, and it's one of the favorite, most favorite teams that I've ever coached. But the bottom line is we had to win. And about halfway through the season, there were one or two parents that wanted to, um, relieve us of our duties and there was a gentleman by the name of Barry Davis you remember Barry I remember Barry Davis oh yes yes and he he spoke up and said oh that is not happening under my watch because Mm. you know what these guys these young men are gaining so much more than just the hockey experience but they're they're gaining as as individuals and he said I can only speak for my son but you know, so, uh, yes, I mean, I, you do come across those teams. <laughs> Unfortunately, this wasn't one of them. Like, they, it, it was almost, and you know what, I use the word jealousy, and I also use the word of that particular generation, just the immaturity. Um, and, again, I have children that are closer to that age than you do, and mm-hmm. and I think about my daughter in particular. And uh, the, the immaturity was was very prevalent um, with that particular group. And uh, 
which is really, really sad. I, I, I think um, it would have been so much fun if, if they had just simply bought into what we were doing from a social point of view. And, and believe me, I tried everything from a social. I even invited these children to my home where I had a hot tub and pool table, ping pong, and had them over to thinking maybe if we do this kind of bonding, it would help. And um, it didn't. How did it end up? Um, it ended up with us uh, losing out in the first round of the playoffs. And um, it had a lot to do with an individual on the other team um, named Cody Glass, who was uh, drafted by Vegas. And, you know, he, they weren't as talented, in my opinion, as we were, but they rallied around the coach and they rallied around this individual and um, they, 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 they really came together as a group. And, uh, and of course, as you know, when you have that going for you, it's very difficult to, oh, sure. to, to beat that, a team like that. And, and our, our group were so critical of each other that um, Richard, it got so bad that we could not leave these boys in in the locker room on their own. That's mm-hmm. how bad it was. Was that the the worst team from hell that you've had? By far. <laughs> By far. It, it was not an enjoyable year, and I had many enjoyable years coaching, coaching with you, coaching with uh, people like uh, – uh, Taryn Singleton, who was with New Jersey. Um, I, I had a lot of, Mike Grew was another guy. It was the worst experience I've ever had to, to endure. And I could not wait, could not wait until the season ended. Did it sour you on coaching or did you just figure, well, that's one for the books and I'll move on? Richard, you know the answer to that question. Well, coaching yeah, I, your, I, I, I might know it. But coaching, coaching is in your blood. And it didn't sour me about coaching. It soured me about the generation and how shallow the generation is. And, and uh, it's about me, 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 and nothing else. And, and I'm sure you can even in the last years of your coaching, you could say the same thing. I mean, there were so many uh, teams that it was about the individuals and, and how they were being brought up and um, truly sad, you know, really, really, really sad. I enjoyed those first X number of years of coaching because of the kids and their eagerness and how attentive they were and, they wouldn't say anything to you if their mouth was full of it. Like, I don't know. I'm sure you experienced the same thing. Yeah, sure. Every coach has, I think. So what advice would you give to a coach who is on the verge of expecting to have to deal with something like this? It may not be to the same scale, but, um, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't take the team. (laughs) Don't do it. Um, I would say, um, at the end of the day, you really have to know that 
And as tough of the year that we had, we did everything that we could possibly do um, to make the year successful for the kids who really and truly cared. And, you know, as much as there was a lot of negative, again, I want to reinforce that there were a lot of great young men on this team that uh, would, would, you know, I know if I walked into a rink today, they would come over to me and say, hi, Mr. Lattister, how are you? Um, what have you been doing? Um, this is where I ended up. Because they were just good kids. It's just there weren't enough of them, you know. And And one more thing I wanted to stress here is, I think it's also about the leadership. Um, I made mistakes with with the leadership of the team, and uh, uh, if I had been a little like more experienced with this team, I would have made sure that that those problem players would definitely not have had an A or a C on their jersey. That would have happened for sure. Oh, you put A's and C's on those kids early on. Well, as you know, uh, what, one of the approaches that I like to use is I like to get the opinions of the players. Sure. And especially when you don't really know the group. So, you know, we, we have this little voting thing. But as you know, it becomes a popularity contest. And I think it also, um, you know, you better vote for me or we're going to make your, hell, your life hell. And uh, if I had known what I know today, I would have just named them and said, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going to, I'm going to see how it plays out. But um, the leadership was definitely a factor. And, you know, people say, you know, captains and assistants and how important is that? It's important at this level. It's important at this age level. And, And I really believe that that might, and I say might have made a difference. Hmm. Well, okay. Let's hope that you don't have to deal with that again. Once in a no. lifetime. Isn't once in a lifetime enough? It is. It yeah. truly is. Yeah. I mean, you know yourself, there are teams that you really, really enjoyed. There are others that, you know, you really, I mean, it was okay. But then there's that one or two teams you just want to like want to forget. Mm-hmm. I had the team that I just want to forget them. Right. And, and, you know, we've both coached at a number of different levels and age groups, and uh, it's not something that is indigenous to just one age group. I mean, you can no. have it in junior, you can have it in Adam hockey. Uh, but the difference in junior is you can always trade them. Yes. Right. Right. So. Yeah. And when, when you're stuck with a minor hockey group and you can't, you can't do anything about it and the association, which I understand, you, you just can't do anything about them. It's very difficult. It makes for a very, very long season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, sir, thank you for, uh, for enlightening us on uh, your team from hell which was not 30 years ago. It was only a few years ago. So I wonder, it, it was. The, you wonder how those kids are doing now, now that they're, you know, over 20 years old. Well, like, like most of them, as you well know, they're probably playing in some beer league and having a good time. Well, and that's okay too. It's uh, what do they, what do they get out of the, you know, what? Yeah. So. I can tell you that for sure that none of those kids, cause I've sort of kept a track of them that 
they're not playing pro anywhere. No. As good as they thought they were. Right. So, all right, Rick, that's great. Thanks very much. Hey, no problem. Anytime. And we'll, uh, we'll get you on again. We've got a list of topics we want to throw around in the future. Thank you very much for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you, Richard. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And what's next on Grassroots, the minor hockey show? I talk with Greg Kennedy again. This time, I don't understand. Benching kids? Really? Here's a clip. We've, so we talked about SAGs and the improvement that can come from that, from, from facing scenarios and learning how to, how to get away with things or how to get around things or make something work. And if you could, don't let them play and let them face those scenarios and, and figure out the game, then you're, you're doing them a disservice. That's next on Grassroots the Minor Hockey Show. Do you have a comment? Drop me an email, richard at grassrootsminorhockey.com. Till next time, thanks for listening.